Before we open our Bibles, could we pray again? This is such a miraculous thing to open God's Word and hear from Him and be transformed by Him. So let's go to Him in prayer before we we even begin that. Father, you have given us your very words. And even as I say that in prayer, I feel the how feeble my preparation to preach your word really is. But you've promised great power through your word if we will be open and receptive to it. So please help us to do that now. Please help me to serve your people well. Please open up our minds and our hearts to your word and open up your word to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. So I'll invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is our passage this Sunday. Moving through the book of 1 Corinthians this summer. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. And as you're opening, you're flipping, and you're finding 1 Corinthians, and you find chapter 14, and then you find verse 13, and your eyes might see the word tongue there in verse 13. And you might think, is he really going to preach on speaking in tongues again? I've never heard so many sermons on preaching in tongues in a row in a church where they don't even preach in tongues or speak in tongues. Well, yes, um, we are just moving through God's word. And there's a couple of reasons for this. There's a couple of reasons for us to take our time through chapter 14, which has a lot to do with the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, One is just that all of God's word is breathed out by God and is profitable. So you know anytime, anywhere in God's word, if you will attend to it and receive it, it's going to profit you. It's going to benefit you. So everything is worth our time in the Bible. The other reason is... Even though the problem that the Corinthian Christians were facing related to the speaking of tongues, where they were just unhinged with it, people were speaking in tongues in the middle of their gathered worship in a disruptive way that nobody could understand what was going on, even though that's not a problem for us, there's gold here beneath the surface of what Paul is saying. And I think we've already unearthed a lot of that gold, that wealth of truth from God's word. We've seen that One of the big problems with the way they were using this spiritual gift of tongues was that it was failing to build others up. And the truth beneath that is when we gather as Christians to worship, we gather for the purpose of building one another up. Not just for building ourselves up, but we're here for one another. And that, in some ways, is a massive paradigm shift from the way churches in our culture often go about being the church. Often churches in our culture are more like service providers where you come to a church gathering only to receive. And there's a full paid staff to do everything so that you can come and receive and go as a consumer. But we're learning in this chapter, that's not the way God designed church to be at all. When we go to church, we go to work. And we're here not just to be blessed, And we're here not just to worship God as an individual, but to build up the people sitting to our right and our left, in front of us and behind us, the people in front of us in conversations in the lobby. Now, in this passage, we're going to see another problem with their use of speaking in tongues that we haven't considered yet. And let's jump right in, verses 13 and 14. 
Paul writes, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, to understand what he's getting at here, we need to look at those two words, mind and spirit. What, is the, what are these things? Now, the, the Greek words translated as spirit and mind are elastic words. They're stretchy. They, they can cover a wide variety of meanings. They're used for a whole range of ideas. So that word mind in just the book of 1 Corinthians has been used to mean somebody's perspective, their way of seeing things, their way of thinking. It's been used to mean the hidden world of thought within each person. And it's been used to refer to the the faculty of reason, that part of you that thinks is what this means when it's talking about your mind. That part of you that is able to reason and think. Spirit covers a wide range of meaning, meaning also. In the book of 1 Corinthians, that, you, that word has been used to mean your disposition or your demeanor, what you're like. You know, he has a gentle spirit. What we mean by that is not that he has like a foreign entity in him, a spirit specifically called gentleness. We mean that that's what he's like. He has a gentle spirit. It's not his body that's gentle or even his mind that's gentle. There's just something about him that's gentle. It also is used to mean influence. Paul said that his spirit was with the church even when he wasn't physically there. It's also meant, uh, used to mean someone's essence, sort of the core of what makes you, you, rather than me. It's used like that. It's used, as one commentator put, to refer to your innermost depths, that part of you that is deeper even than cognitive clarity, that's deeper even than your, than your mind and your thinking. So, consider yourself for just a minute. What are you? Like, what makes up you? What makes you you rather than me or the person beside you? We're getting a little philosophical here, but I think it'll help us to think this way. Now, I think we all know, even instinctively, that we're more than just our bodies, so part of me is this, this body, these hands, these arms, this skin. But that's not all of me. There's a part of me that thinks. So part of me instinctively knows that I, I am body, I am physical, but I'm also mental. I'm also, I have a mind. Now I have a brain, that's physical, but there's, it's not just that, that hunk of meat in my skull. There's something to that more than just the physical, and we refer to that as our mind. If we think even further, I think we'll realize that there's even still yet more to us than just those two components, what this passage refers to as our spirit. And these are difficult concepts to grab a hold of. What is your spirit? You know, if you, if you lost your, Lucky's just in my field of vision, if, if Lucky lost his arm, is he less lucky than he was before? Is he's lost part of Lucky, is, is he less lucky? No, he's still lucky. Yeah, this is weird because your name is Lucky. So that, of course, you're unlucky if you've lost your arm. Okay, so he's lost his arm, and now he's, well, if he also lost a leg, shark attack or something. Is he even less lucky? No, he's still lucky. He still thinks like Lucky, and he still has the spirit of Lucky. Okay, so 
just, it's hard to think this way, but just start to pull together a more comprehensive vision of what you are as a human being. And that's what this passage is dealing with. So what Paul is saying here, I believe, in context is, in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, in a language that I don't know and you don't know, if I pray in a tongue, the part of me that is deeper and distinct from my mind prays. But the part of me that thinks and communicates is unfruitful. And this is a problem. What's the solution to the problem? I think that'll help us understand the problem. Is the solution to, okay, stop using your spirits and start using your minds. Just flip the switch and power down the spiritual part of yourself and flip the other switch and, and crank up the mental part of yourself, the intellectual part of yourself. Well, no, Paul tells us the solution in verse 15. Let's read it together. He writes, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. It's not, will we pray, will we sing with our spirit or our mind? It's let's pray and let's sing with our spirit and our mind. The problem with the Corinthians isn't that they're spiritual people. And the problem isn't even that they're too spiritual. The problem is that they're only spiritual. And they're not using their heads. They're not using their minds. They are approaching their worship in an incomplete way. They're approaching their worship in a partial way rather than from their, their wholeness, the entirety of what they are as human beings created in God's image. We are amazing creatures. We're amazing what God has created here. You are an amazing creature, whether you feel like it or not. Whether when you look in the mirror, you think to yourself, that is an amazing creature, or, or not, you are created fearfully and wonderfully by God himself, very carefully, very intentionally, wondrously made, mysterious even. The Bible uses words like body, soul, heart, strength, mind, spirit, to begin to convey a little bit of what we are as humans. Now, these are not, these, these are not separable pieces of us that are completely unattached to one another. It's not that some people are physical, other people are spiritual, and other people are intellectual. We're all these things at the same time. As one Christian philosopher wrote, we are besold bodies and embodied souls, which I find kind of poetic. We're embodied souls and besold bodies. In the words of our passage here, we could say that we are spiritual minds and mindful spirits. Now, this wholeness is disrupted in every one of us. Part of what sin does is it separates. It's like a blade. It separates. It separates us from God because he is holy. And when we're sinful and unholy, we cannot be in relationship with him. So, 
separated from God. Sin separates us from one another. You know, our sin builds up barriers between us of resentment and regret and shame and hiddenness. Sin separates again. But sin even separates us within ourselves. And our bodies and our spirits and our minds become disjointed. Split off. Fractured. Sin separates again. And a major aspect of what Jesus Christ does for us is he brings us back into wholeness. Wholeness in relationship with God. Wholeness in relationship with other people. That's what the church is meant to be. And wholeness even within ourselves. You know, it's interesting. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the primary word translated peace has an idea of wholeness. When we tend to think of peace, we tend to think of just one part of peace, which is like tranquility, that everything's okay and calm. But the biblical idea of peace is more the idea of wholeness. Shalom, the Jewish word from the Old Testament, has that idea, central wholeness, being brought back into harmony. And the word in the New Testament, translated peace most often, has that idea of wholeness as well. This is a major part of what Jesus is doing among us. It's making us whole. We are designed to worship God using our whole selves, not just compartments of ourselves, not just components of ourselves, our wholeness. Or the way Jesus said it, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. This passage might add all of our spirit. Now, because the Corinthian Christians were praying and singing with just part of themselves and not their whole selves, their church suffered in a way that we'll see in verses 16 and 17. Paul goes on, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, or anybody who's standing apart from you looking on and not understanding what you're saying, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So quick, what is the reason that we pray together as a church? What is the reason that we sing together as a church? Think about the singing in particular. What other place in your life do you come together and sing with people? Is there any other place in your life where you come together and sing with a bunch of people? It's, it's strange that we do this. Why are we doing this? Well, yeah, our, our first thoughts are, well, it, for one thing, it's for me. It's a chance for me to pray and connect with God and me to sing true things about God. And then, of course, the, the next thing right behind that is it's about God. It's for us to glorify him by depending on him in prayer and glorify him by singing with our voices, proclaiming true things about him and glorious things about him. But there's a third aspect that we often forget, and we've talked about it before, so I know it's not new, but it's worth mentioning again. When we come together, we pray out loud verbally also for the benefit of one another. And we sing for the benefit of one another. And we give thanks for the benefit of one another. These parts of our practice as we get together are invested with a great deal of meaning and purpose. 
is part of how we build each other up. So even when you just give thanks, I'm thankful for this, that done rightly in the right spirit and the right mind builds up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it's important that you say it in an intelligible way. This is just a practical reason why this untethered use of speaking in tongues has no place in the gathered church. It doesn't help anybody. Paul said, I love the way he says it. You may be giving thanks well enough. I don't know what you're saying. You might be giving a great deal of thanks to God. But it doesn't do anybody any good because nobody can understand you. So nobody can say amen. Now here, the Bible clearly condones the practice of saying amen. That's another thing that happens in churches that doesn't happen outside of churches. I doubt you say amen outside of church very often. I know you don't say amen inside of church very often, so I'm certain you don't say it outside of church very often. When you say amen, you're saying, yes, that is true. I agree. I affirm that. And I want to help you press that into the hearts of all of us because it's true and good. So it's open season for saying amen. And I'm I'm not just saying that so that while I'm preaching, I can hear amen. But even while we're singing true things, something strikes a chord. Based on your experience this week, you have found that to be true and valuable. Say amen. Or something like it. It doesn't have to be legalistically the word amen, although that is a traditional word that I think we should hang on to. During public prayer, someone's praying. You believe what they're praying, and it means something to you. Say amen. It's good to do that. I'm uncomfortable doing that. I'm very reserved. I like to sit in a bad posture, inward, collapsing into myself stance and say nothing. But we have to remember, this is a a group endeavor here. We're here to build each other up. One of the main ways we do that is how we use our words, including affirming and helping to press important truths in upon each other by how we say our thanks and how we affirm those thanks. What we don't want is, we'll say 60 we, our, our attendance varies on a, any given, sun, given Sunday. We'll say 60. What we don't want is 60 individual separate worship experiences. That makes no sense biblically with what gathered worship is. We don't want 60 individual worship experiences. We want one collective worship endeavor that we are all involved in, that we are all participating in. This is not a spectator sport. We're all in it together. I wish everybody could have a face mic on during the whole service. This is one reason why in, in singing, I want to emphasize the church sing. The main thing you should hear when we sing is the voice of the congregation. Because we're in this together, worshiping together, building each other up together. This is why... You can't worship on the golf course just as well as in the church pew. This is something that you hear often. Well, I don't really go to church, but my God is a big God, and he's out there in the woods when I'm hunting, and he's out there on the golf course when I'm swinging my club, and I can worship him just as well out there as in your church. Now, there's a sense in which there's truth to that. Yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, 
And you absolutely can and should worship him when you're in the woods and on the golf course and in your car or in front of your TV and wherever. But you can't worship him out there by yourself like you can in here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The gathered church is a singular and special thing. And we have to have it. This is the way God designed us to work as Christians. We grow together or we don't grow at all. This is why you need to be here. I'm so thankful that you are here. Fourth of July weekend, there's so many other places you could be. People are on vacation, time off of work. And I understand that. I'll be on vacation in a few weeks. Vacation is not evil. But we've got to gather together for this. You can't do this on your own. And we need this. This is why it's important to come to church. It's not so that you can get something out of it. It's because when you're not here, we're not receiving what you could be giving us. When you're not here, part of us is missing. We need you. We need each and every one of us. Just like your body needs all of its parts. We need all of our people. So why are you here? You're here in large part to build up the other people that you see. God may give you some word of encouragement. God may give you some insightful prayer. God may bring to mind some scripture that somebody needs to hear. But if you'll look around, you may not want to do it right now because it seems awkward, but just be a, become aware of who all is around you. They're your assignment here. And it requires both our spirit and our mind, both the, this depth of authentic relationship and experience with God and clarity of thought and expression about it. It requires all of us, our wholeness. Now, what is the application for us? We've talked a little bit about it. It's not stop speaking in tongues. We're not doing that right now anyway. I'm open that the Holy Spirit may do that among us. Um, It's not a huge priority to me. I don't think the scripture places a great deal of emphasis on it, although Paul does say over in verse... um, Five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So the application for us isn't the the first thing you see from the text. It's not stop speaking in tongues so much. You're not doing that right now anyway. The application for us is worship God with your whole self, not just part of yourself. Our danger is not that we might worship God with our spirits, not our minds, I think our danger is more likely to be the reverse, that we would be tempted to worship God with our minds, but not our spirits. And part of the reason that that's a temptation for us is because it's a temptation for me, your pastor. Uh, I gravitate toward the intellectual aspect of my faith, and I've been very challenged this week that I might be missing a whole world in my relationship with God by not being more open to the spiritual part of it. And so I'm repenting of that, and I'm trying to grow, but I fear that I may sow that DNA into our church. So I think it's good for us to be aware that that is a danger for us. To just remember true things and celebrate true things out here in a theoretical sense without letting it settle down into us and change us in our our essence and our spirits. The church is not an academy. The church is not a seminary. Christianity is not a philosophy. The Bible is not a textbook. 
Prayer is not a mental exercise. The church is a mysterious miracle. We are somehow, some way, the body of Christ represented in this world. Christianity is a relationship with God himself. The Bible is God's dynamic, living, active, powerful word. Prayer is communication with our creator, the God of the universe. These are unfathomably glorious realities. To experience and participate in this engages both our unspeakable depths and our clear thinking. So may we speak in tongues. That'd be great. Let the Holy Spirit fill us up and give us all the gifts needed to glorify God and build up the church and make disciples of all nations. Like he says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Speaking in tongues is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But then may we interpret or unfold and translate this into intelligible corporate prayer and singing and thanksgiving and instruction that builds one another up. As Paul says in verse 19, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let us not worship with our spirits only, but let us also not worship with our minds only. Let us worship with our spirits and our minds. Now we have, this is a unique passage in that we can respond to this immediately. We don't have to go home and look for a way to respond to this. We're here in gathered worship right now. So I want to pray for God to deepen and expand our capacity to experience and participate in our relationship with him, engaging our whole being. And then we're going to have a time of prayer together. And I just want to invite you to pray out loud if you feel so moved, but don't feel any pressure to. But know that this is a group endeavor. We are going to pray together. And then I have another word for you before we enter into our closing song. So let's just spend a little bit of time praying together. If the Lord moves among any of us to pray something out loud that strikes a chord with you as being true, feel free to say amen. If none of that happens, don't feel awkward about it because this is a process, the Lord growing us this direction. So feel no pressure, but feel freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I'll, I'll begin and lead us into prayer with you. We cannot even begin to really understand how glorious this is that we're talking to you right now. But you've given us this passage of scripture. And so I just begin by asking that you would deepen and expand our capacity to fully and wholly experience our relationship with you and worship you. And now we're just going to have an open time of prayer. Pray that your spirit would lead us to pray as we should. Father, now help us to continue in a spirit and mind of prayerfulness and thanksgiving and worship as we prepare to sing our closing song together. In Jesus' name, amen.